I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Do you support journalism? I mean, of course you support journalism. Who doesn't support journalism as a principle, as an ideal? Do we need journalism? Yes, that's an easy thing to answer. Have you seen these ads that a lot of the big news organizations, they're not trading on their product, they're trading on the principle and the ideal. You know, you need to support journalism or else we will all, you know, democracy dies in darkness and we'll all be running around blind and that's why we need your money. It is easy to support journalism in theory. It is more difficult in practice because supporting journalism in practice means supporting journalists, reporters. We're not likable. We probably shouldn't try to be. The job that we do requires us to be know-it-alls. It involves making mistakes, hopefully owning up to them. Anyhow, I am not asking you to support the idea of journalism. I'm asking you to support the act of journalism, the practice. I'm asking you to hire us, put us to work for you. And I make that pitch with reference to specific journalism. This is Shortcuts, so I'll talk about shortcuts. If you value analysis, which is part of journalism, if you value knowing about news stories that are otherwise going underreported or knowing what happens behind the news stories. When we first talked with Trina Roach about the situation with the Mi'kmaq lobster fisheries, it might have been the first place you heard it. We didn't break that story. This is an analysis show. It was APTN and Kukukwe's Marine Gugu's news site. They broke that story. They deserve your support as well. 
But this is a place where a lot of people come to find out about stuff that they otherwise are not hearing. And um, there's a lot of stuff we do that I think in practice is worth your support. And I could go through the whole year of stuff that I think has earned that support. But what I'll ask you today as we come to the conclusion of our annual crowdfunding campaign is think about shortcuts. Think about this show. Does it inform you about things that you otherwise wouldn't know? And if so, pay us for that. Pay us to do it better in the year ahead. I promise we are always thinking of ways to do it better and putting your dollars towards that purpose and trying to speak with people from all around the country. And what we're looking for now is our next goal and the specific goal that we're working towards now because so many people have come through and funded us to do more original reporting and they have helped us hit. We did it. We got our permanent French language media beat. You'll be hearing a lot more about what is happening in French media on this show and our other shows. And we hit our goal of a permanent indigenous news beat. And now we want a permanent British Columbia news beat. So that is it. It's practical. I want your money to do journalism and I want you to go to canadaland.com slash join. And I want you to join. You don't support hair grooming as an ideal. You pay your barber for a haircut. Does this analogy work? I want you to pay us to do this coverage and to keep doing it. So CanadaLand.com slash join. Thank you. Get on board. Become a part of this. Join up. We're going to make you proud. Hire us. We want to work for you. We want to send you socks. CanadaLand.com slash join. Do it. Anita Lee, recovering reporter, media consultant, journalism instructor. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Anita, today we're going to talk about big tech. Big tech is a blood-sucking monster that will eat your baby. Unless billionaire Mark Zuckerberg pays billionaire Jamie Irving hundreds of millions of dollars. I promise everybody that that will all make sense in just a few minutes. And while we're scaring everybody, beware of China. China is infiltrating our media or, 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 or is anti-China infiltrating our media. I've lost track. Either way, I insist that everybody becomes terrified or at least paralyzed uh, from confusion now. Once again, good to have you here, Anita. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to everybody by Howard Wan, Jeff Kelly, Miles Tsang, James Marsh, Christian Davis, Jean Christie, Evan Young, and Jess. My name is Jessica. I live in Toronto and I work for Canada Land. Believe it or not, I also support Canadaland financially because I believe our team is doing vital work within Canadian media. It's hard work, and so I want to show support of my coworkers in every way that I can. I'm also in a very unique position. I have the privilege of interacting with many of our listeners and existing supporters. I hear how the stories have impacted you. I hear how the reporting has changed you, whether it's seeing yourself reflected in a story for the first time or how your relationship to the systems of power have evolved. Thank you for listening, for engaging, and for continuing the hard conversations. And if you haven't had a chance yet, be sure to listen to Monday's show. It was a great one. Anita, when I'm trying to get a point across and get people to, you know, understand and engage with topics that can sometimes be a bit geeky, wonky technical stuff about Canadian media and media policy, I have to be careful not to veer into hyperbole. That's a concern. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, polarization is the biggest scourge on society right now. And so I really despise binary framing of issues that, you know, kind of leads to alarmism. But there are times also when a situation in reality 
is so absurd and exaggerated that I could not overstate or caricature it even if I tried. What am I talking about here? I have been telling our listeners for some time now, noting all of these articles popping up in Post Media Papers, Torstar Papers, elsewhere, newspapers publishing pieces suggesting that big tech is a very scary threat. And the solution is that the government should force Google and Facebook to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to those same newspapers. Uh, and they should do that every year uh, from now on. And the way that I just summarized that might sound like a polarizing oversimplification. I mean, it's not like the newspapers are suggesting that big tech is a big, scary monster with fangs, except that they are explicitly doing exactly that. It only came to my attention this week that all of these stories that I've been noting have been collected under this new section called mm. defanging big tech. I mean, it's a pun because fang, of course, stands for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. That's like the group of tech companies. But defanging big tech, the actual letters have fangs. Like tech has, <laughs> it has fangs. It's literally drawn as a monster. I'm quoted in one of those stories. And so are you. Yep. Most of these stories in the early days that I was pointing them out were um, op-eds or, or letters from the publisher or, or, you know, letters from the editorial board. Government must face up to harms from big tech. Online platforms must be made liable for third-party hate content, and it might happen soon. Even mm -hmm. like one reported piece that was about, you know, the COVID alert app is a key tool, but everybody distrusts big tech, and that's why Canadians are avoiding it. Anyhow, they've started to do more and more actual reported news stories. And that's where you were quoted in a story by reporter Joanna Chu, which uh, ran under the headline. This will sound like an, an editorial headline, but it was a news story. Why Canada's media industry is in more danger than you think and what we can do to save it. Mm -hmm. That headline is very, I mean, like it veers into hysteria, which is not good. It's, it's not a very holistic look at the Canadian media landscape. And that's my concern that the, the debate is framed in, in such a binary way. Yeah. I have two major problems with a lot of the coverage. The first one is that there's no disclosure. They keep mentioning News Media Canada wants this. News Media Canada has a solution. News Media Canada and, and quoting people from News Media Canada. And we can only find one instance in, in many, many articles where they disclose Torstar is a member of News Media Canada. That's not a minor disclosure. I mean, by Torstar's own description, whether they live or die depends on whether they get what they want here, whether they get this money mm -hmm. from government and then later from Google and Facebook. So the fact that they stand to gain hundreds of millions of dollars is something you think they would disclose. My second big problem with this is that you wouldn't know from reading these pieces that there is another side to the story, that there are people mm -hmm. who think that this isn't a good idea or maybe that there are other solutions to this. And so when I came to the part of the article where, uh, oh, Anita Lee, uh, this seems like in a reported news piece, it was like, and but not everybody thinks that this is so great. And then you're presented, and I was a little bit like, I found it quizzical the way you were quoted. Uh, not that I disagree with anything you were saying. If I can summarize, and you can tell me if I'm summarizing you correctly, it was like, well, these newspapers are kind of late. There was a lot of time that they could have been working on solutions. This and and going after Google and Facebook now seems belated. Mm -hmm. I know that you have a lot more to say about this than just that this is a yes. late solution. Are you happy with how you're quoted? And and did you share maybe a more detailed? bunch of thoughts than were represented in that article. I have a lot of respect for Joanna as a re reporter. Um, and I'm I'm fine with the way I was quoted because at the foundational baseline level, that's, that's accurate. But our conversation was wide ranging and expansive. And I think it went almost an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. 
um, during which I, I talked through multiple solutions um, that didn't make it into the article. I had a similar experience. Uh, Peter Nowak is a reporter that I respect very much, tech reporter for many years I've known. Um, I, I talked to him for about an hour. I was happy, you know, it was an accurate quote where I said, like, mm-hmm. I just don't like the government being the ones to decide who is news and who isn't, which, you know, listeners have heard mm-hmm. from me many times. But, you know, we talked about a lot more than that. I just worry yeah. that, like, readers wouldn't know what this is actually about. I'll try to just just so people understand what we're talking about here. This section, defanging big tech, it seems to have started in September. September is also when News Media Canada put out their big report. And the big report is a series of recommendations to government as to what should happen next. And what they say is that uh, big tech is stealing their content uh, without paying license fees. That conjures up the image of like, um, I'm using your song um, and I haven't paid you royalties, you know. The actual Mm -hmm. thing that isn't mentioned in the report is that the way that Facebook and Google use content from news sites is that people link to those articles. And if the newspapers don't want them to, they can they can very easily prevent Google and Facebook from uh, linking to their stuff. And who actually is putting the links in Facebook and Google? Often it's the newspapers themselves. They want like $600 million a year. And they say that that will make up for all of the ad money that has disappeared from the news media, the newspaper industry. And they specifically ask for a federal digital media regulatory agency. Like a lot of people I think would be okay with Facebook and Google paying for reporters. That sounds great, you know, but like we're now going to start regulating digital news. And I think that would invariably include deciding who gets to enjoy inclusion and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, the centralization of the decision making around, you know, what's defined as a journalism outlet versus not should not be under the exclusive purview of the government. And I think a lot of this framing kind of passes the buck onto, you know, the sole responsibility onto tech giants when the story is far more complex. And like I mentioned in the quote, like uh, many of establishment industry news leaders have failed to anticipate digital disruption and diminishing ad revenues were not is not is this not a new story? This is something that you know journalism industries worldwide have anticipated for quite some time, and many industries outside of Canada have actually started experimenting with you know membership and subscription models, you know, monetizing events, uh, looking at you know increased foundation funding and support for media outlets. There's just the sky's the limit, and I'm a professor and instructor at the City University of New York at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism. And I coach and teach a lot of emerging and establishment media outlets about audience engagement and revenue. And so I know that this is a, an area of innovation that has been in existence for a long time. And it always flabbergasts me. The fact that I just never see this in mainstream media or, or mainstream discussions just is very perturbing. Yeah, I mean, they focused on this and there's article after article, but the actual just guts of what this is about is lacking, I think, because they have a, they, they, they don't want to. Uh, give a tremendous amount of attention or credibility or, or space to the other side. Even within the context mm-hmm. of, of Joanna Chu's article, journalist uh, out West, Jen St. Dennis, tweeted, I'm so angry I can't concentrate, but this article appears to make no mention of the fact that Joanna's own newspaper, uh, Toronto Star Metro Vancouver, laid off all of its reporters in 2019 and then generously mm-hmm. allowed them to reapply for a fewer number of jobs. What does that have to do with all of this? Well, you know, as you point out, Anita, we're not new to this conversation. The possibility of newspapers somehow adapting to the loss of ad revenue, the Toronto Star, rather than doubling down on its journalism, they launched the ill-fated Star Touch, $30-40 million that they could have put that into building a digital subscription business. Then they mm-hmm. had this um, plot to create their own mini Facebook 
through the Star Metro network of papers. That seems to have failed and they've laid off all the reporters there. I mean, it's not without informational value, the report that News Media Canada put together. You know, in, in asking the government for certain policy measures, of like this is what we want from Facebook and Google, it kind of tells you what their business plan is, you know? And there's mm-hmm. no mention in there of help with subscriptions, you know, like, like uh, the New York times has 7 million digital subscribers. Yeah. The Toronto star, I don't really see them trying to really like, and I, I've always suspected, like, are they really serious about like transforming? Cause transformation is going to mean digital subscription. And now I yeah. know that they're not serious about it. Cause if I were writing a report asking government to help me demand things from Facebook and Google, I know what I'd ask for. I want a button mm-hmm. on Facebook next to Canada land podcasts that says support Canada land five bucks a month, nine bucks a month. And, and I want it yep. to be a one-click solution on Facebook, in a Google search result, on Apple's podcast player. That could triple our business tomorrow if we just made it easier for people to subscribe to news services. So I do want things from big tech. I want them mm-hmm. to help me build my actual business. The newspapers aren't asking for help with that. Their revenue stream, like if you look at the last couple of years, the newspapers, what's their new revenue stream? It's the government media bailout. That's the, the, the biggest new source of money. And then they immediately said, it's not enough. So now they're going back to government and saying, okay, we're not going to bug you for more money. Help us get the money from Facebook and Google. And the government is totally on board because it's become politically convenient for them. Like in the beginning of the Trudeau government, they were like weirdly holding hands with Facebook and integrating Facebook into their press releases and press events. Now it's fashionable Mm -hmm. to hate Facebook and Google. And so the government says, great, let's we'll help you get the money from Facebook and Google. And who else has joined onto this campaign? The CBC has endorsed it. The CBC used to be at odds with the newspapers because the newspapers were pushing government to say, government, stop the CBC from selling ads and competing with us. Why is a publicly funded news organization competing with us in the private market, which is my complaint as well. And now Mm -hmm. instead of looking like a predator that's hurting Canadian news, CBC gets to be a champion of news by signing on for this campaign to shake down Facebook and Google. So at what Mm -hmm. point does like a lobby group just become a cartel? Well, I'm not going to answer that question necessarily, but I want to introduce a new point into the discussion because I think a lot of this actually has a lot to do with how well these establishment outlets are serving their audiences. And so I think it's kind of a cop out to focus so much on advertising revenue when other sources of revenue, particularly consumer revenue, actually is incumbent on good quality journalism that listens to a diverse array of audiences. And I mean, you know, given since since this past summer, since the death of George Floyd, equity issues have been at the fore of um, discussions of Canadian journalism and how well we're serving uh, like many audiences, including underrepresented ones. And I think this is this is also dancing around it. So this isn't just an issue connected to big tech. It's connected to, I don't know, the efficacy and the viability of Canadian journalism and whether they're actually functioning as, you know, a pillar of democracy. What upsets me most about this is that they're not taking responsibility and they don't see the broader connections. It just alarms me that industry leaders in our in, in Canada, in Canadian journalism, are not anticipating this. You make a great point. If you were actually sitting down as so many minds and young minds in journalism that are actually like, like how are we going to make this work going forward? You know, one thing that you would w- really quickly uh, come to is like, well, the actual demographics of the paying newsreader is incredibly limited and it's dying out. It's old and it's white. Um, we need to appeal just from a market perspective. How can we make news products that diverse audiences would actually pay for? And if you engage mm-hmm. with that, there's huge opportunities 
But that's not a part of this. That's not the way forward as envisioned here. Yeah. And I, I often hear as a refutation that, you know, the New York Times has a ton of digital subscriptions, but they're the New York Times. I think that's a really self-defeating attitude. And beyond that, there's so many examples. A lot of the work that I look at, it looks at a lot of merging outlets that have found immense success uh, with consumer revenue streams. And so, for example, Day Correspondent is a Dutch publication that has um, more than definitely more than 50% consumer revenue. I think at one point early on in their existence, it was close to, it was over 90%. So this is something that's very viable and a lot of industries around the world are experimenting with. And I just, I just don't see why Canadian industry is, you know, digging their heels in. It's just, it's self-defeating. And so this feels like, in a way, it feels a bit like a PR campaign to, to curry favor with the Canadian public without fully informing the Canadian public about the breadth and the depth of this issue. I want to talk to you about some of the dynamics here as like a scholar of media when we actually think about how this would play out. And I don't doubt that they're going to be able to, to push this forward. I'm not sure if Google and Facebook will find some legal way to contest this, but I think they've got the government's participation. So let's imagine that they force some sort of licensing regime. You've got this government regulatory office that is saying you're a news organization, so you are entitled to get a piece of the pie. You're not. And part of what they're asking for also is like preferred placement uh, in the algorithm so that, you know, these Canadian news stories go to the top of your Facebook feed. Now, how do you determine how, who gets how much in licensing fees? It's not going to be based on how many articles you post. It's not going to be based on the quality of the articles because there's no way that they're going to have some algorithm or some you know panel d- deciding that. I think it's going to be about traffic. It's going to be about clicks. And we've mm-hmm. already seen what happens when the business model for journalism is linked to traffic. Yeah. It incentivizes the most emotional, divisive content. And it's this interesting inversion because in in version one of clickbait journalism, when it was still profitable to just get clicks, it's not really profitable anymore. In version one, it was the upstarts. It was like the BuzzFeeds and and a lot of other places that were doing, you know, so-called fake news and just like cute lists and stuff like that to get the clicks. And it was the newspapers that said, we're real journalism. We don't go for that. In this new model that's being proposed, you would have like, all of the top tier legacy news organizations, they all get to participate in a click-based revenue model and they're competing with each mm-hmm. other for the most clicks and everybody else has to find a, a different business model. That's something weird to think about. We, we already know you just circle the drain. It's a race to the bottom when it's when it's a yeah. click-based system. You're hitting on something that is has always been an issue in Canadian media, which is we have a two-tier system where you know there's establishment and then every other emerging media outlet or ethnic media outlet outside of establishment is considered second tier. And so by extension, the audiences that these emerging and other media outlets serve are also second tier. So this is, you know, this is negatively impacting, could possibly negatively impact our democracy. In the big picture of how big tech is a problem and needs regulation, there's a massive conversation about antitrust. Elizabeth Warren had millions of supporters for that message. News is a part of that. But if you were to read the defanging big tech stuff, you would think that it was like this is the main thing that's happening. And it's creating like Canada's in this having its own weird other conversation about what to do. And frankly, it gives cover. Like what are the antitrust? There's like a couple pieces about antitrust uh, as if that was like a minor consideration. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when you lump in hate speech and antitrust, like it's almost like you're using the real journalism to lend credibility to these pieces that are very blatantly self-serving the star's interests. And it, it, it feels like it kind of, it doesn't feel fair to that reporting or to those reporters or to those issues to me. Definitely not fair. 
I mean, I'm always somebody who wants to make generous assumptions, but I want these establishment entities to be able to prove that they can have a holistic nuanced conversation about this because right now as it's framed, I mean, like I said, I'll re- reiterate again, that's dis- doing a disservice to the Canadian public. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I'm not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Anita, we duly note things that otherwise go overlooked, and uh, I'm wondering what you have to duly note today. So what I have to duly note is actually a bit of a, an adorable story. So there's a really cool Instagram account called Parkdale Life, and they donated their tens of thousands of followers to Parkdale Community Food Bank. And Parkdale is a, it's a quirky little neighborhood in the West End of Toronto that has a really tight-knit community. And basically the kind of stuff that Parkdale Life posted on their Instagram were like quirky photos of raccoons doing weird things. To me, it's like it really spoke to the, the authentic core of Toronto. And so the person who ran the account donated it to a local food bank um, just to, you know, push forward that mission or the mission of, uh, of that nonprofit organization. So the specific food bank is called Parkdale Community Food Bank. So I really urge everybody to follow the account, uh, which is at Parkdale Food Bank. That's a cool idea. Our producer, uh, Tiffany, brought my attention towards a similar thing, this um, hashtag pass the mic campaign to get David Attenborough, who like has millions of followers to his Instagram and he's like not posting anymore. And so there's like this movement environmental group said, well, why don't you, that's a valuable, like, you know, there, there are news organizations that don't have a fraction of that audience. What, mm-hmm. why don't you pass the mic and, and pass that Instagram account over to somebody who shares the same values and is, is working on environmentalism as, as you were duly noted. Anita, I have something to duly note, you know, back in, February of 2014, 
the uh, British Columbia Civil Liberties Association filed a complaint against the RCMP contending that they illegally spied on activists and indigenous nations opposed to the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline Project. So uh, there was a inquiry into this. The RCMP's watchdog, they launched an investigation in 2014 and they finished this investigation in 2017. So whether or not the RCMP was spying on activists and indigenous nations is something that the RCMP has known for three years but they've never released the report. Jeez. And the BC Civil Liberties Association has now launched a lawsuit against RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky. So she is being sued as an individual uh, for inexcusable delays preventing the release of the civilian watchdog report into RCMP spying on Indigenous and climate advocates. And these things take so long that it's easy to just forget that these things happened or that stuff is being withheld from us, but you don't know what you don't know. Uh, all we do know is that the RCMP knows and they haven't told us. Duly noted. Anita, the last thing I want to talk with you about is, uh, well, it was kind of set off by a story reported by Blacklock's reporter. Uh, they do a lot of um, stuff about the uh, inner workings of Ottawa and Parliament. The headline read, Curb Propaganda, MPs Told. And the piece goes on to tell us that um, Parliament has been urged to enact laws to curb the Communist Party from pushing propaganda into the Chinese-Canadian community. That uh, this mm -hmm. is something that uh, is a really big threat. There is a goal of brainwashing Chinese-Canadians, Parliament was told, as reported by Blacklocks. And that, like, wow. Uh, I wanted to know what that was about. Like a foreign government is infiltrating our media to brainwash Chinese Canadians. That sounds really drastic. Uh, yeah. So we went, we actually just watched what happened in parliament and, and uh, in the Canada, China relations committee meeting of November 9th, what you actually get is Victor Ho, the former editor of Sing Tao, which is the biggest Chinese language newspaper in Canada. It's a tour star paper as it happens. Uh, he's the former editor of Sing Tao BC. He was complaining to parliament that a Chinese diplomat was on a talk show. And while Tong Xiaoling was on this talk show, she made some points about how uh, Chinese Canadians should be less critical of Hong Kong's national security law. And I mean, you know, what do diplomats do? First of all, you're allowed to interview a diplomat on a radio show. And what do they do is they say things that their government wants them to say. It seemed a far cry to me from a Chinese plot to infiltrate our media. I mean, you don't have to go that far. Like, you know, China Daily, state Chinese news is actually buying pages in the Globe and Mail. It's not a very sophisticated or deceptive propaganda campaign. There's just pages of state media running in the Globe and Mail. But, mm -hmm. you know, a diplomat on talk radio, it just felt like an overheated uh, way of presenting things to me. Um, I'm wondering what you thought of this coverage. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I have a lot to say about this because, I mean... I'm feeling a creeping and rising anti-Asian sentiment that's very much connected to a lot of stereotypes around the coronavirus and linked to the rise in hate crimes against, um, you know, people of Asian descent everywhere, um, and including in North America and Canada. And the reason why I say this is because while I am no fan of the CCP and you know, I'm appalled by the human rights abuses committed by the Chinese government and am concerned 
that, you know, the decline of America has given, you know, allowed a vacuum for China to kind of rear its dominance. I completely think this is alarmism. And there's a long history of, uh, you know, anti-Asian sentiment in Canada, uh, historically dating back to the gold rush times, um, as particularly on the West Coast in BC. And, you know, we all know about the history of inter- Japanese internment in this uh, country. So we, needless to say, there's a long history of yellow peril is what they call it, uh, where there's a fear of incursions from China or like incursions from Chinese people and increasing Asian influence or Chinese influence in Western countries that is connected to a lot of alarmism and racism. And so the reason why I feel strongly about this is because I myself have been a target of this. I wrote a piece last year for policy options that talked about equity in Canadian media. It's it's common to what I often talk about in, in public, just calling for greater diversity and inclusion in, in Canadian media. And there was another journalist who took one of my quotes out of context. And it was something, and it was basically saying that I was dissatisfied by the fact that, you know, Canadian media isn't representing a multitude of views. And this journalist took it out of context and basically said that, you know, the Chinese government is influencing, unduly influencing Chinese Canadians. And this is an example of it, which outraged me to no end because of the fact that my parents are actually from Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I am pro-Hong Kong protesters unequivocally. I am pro-democracy. So it's just insulting and racist for this person to just automatically assume because of my face and my name that I would be an apologist for the Chinese government. And we have a history in this country of incorrectly conflating people of color with immigrants and perpetually seeing people of color as outsiders. And there are white immigrants, there are racialized immigrants, they're Canadian-born racialized people, they're Canadian-born white people. And so this just feeds into this narrative of Chinese Canadians as being outsiders. And so I would I would caution against, you know, feeding into this level of alarmism. We've struggled with this and we've been accused of the same thing. We did, I think, a terrific report on the Epoch Times, you know, this this anti-Chinese government newspaper that's showing up on people's doorsteps. And our team here, like, looked into where, where does this come from? Who's funding this? Why is it so on board with so many Trump talking points? And just gave a very factual, in-depth report on the Epoch Times. And then the tweets came out that Canada land is obviously funded by the Communist Party of China. Mm-hmm. The stuff to wade into is difficult because there is stuff happening. I mean, those sections of the Globe and Mail, which I'm very critical of, uh, that the Chinese state is inserting into Canadian media discourse, we mm-hmm. need to be able to report on that. We need to be able to report when newspapers unsolicited show up on people's doorsteps. These stories cut both ways, both pro-government and anti-government. Yep. When paid protesters show up at the Meng trial, that's a news story. Who's paying them? But every time you you get into these stories, whether they are about people trying to influence Canadians or infiltrate in favor of of the of the uh, Communist Party of China or against it, it does threaten or have the the, the tendency or, or the or the uh, you know the possibility of veering into some sort of yellow peril. Like be afraid, there's a mind control effort one side or the other, and it almost doesn't matter which side because what it all boils down to, if people are going to take those conclusions, is just an anti Asian sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, and I, I've often said this, but, um, you know, media outlets are, provide the language and the, um, just the framework for discussions that we have with our families and our loved ones and our friends at home. So if this is, you know, going to be presented in such an alarmist binary way, then that's going to be the nature of the conversations at home, um, um, you know, in the homes of many Canadians. So, you know, this is again, just a caution to, to those, 
to those outlets to be far more nuanced in their reportage. Because obviously we should be covering this. Like, I mean, China is getting very, very ballsy um, geopolitically. And, you know, we, we do need to hold them accountable. But, you know, this is just, we also have to remember, like, the impact of the reporting and the fact that there are people of Chinese descent living in this country who are Canadians. More and more topics are getting this way where like, I mean, I just look at, um, you know, Ian Young is a reporter for the South China Morning Post. He's been on Candlelight a number of times. I think he's done wonderful stuff. Every now and then I, I kind of click onto his Twitter feed and he's engaged in this like multi-year battle with critics of his about whether or not he's stooging for one side or the other. Like the inclination, if you are not an expert in this stuff, if it's not your specific beat is like, Maybe I'll just back off and not deal with this. Maybe I'll just leave this alone because I don't want to be accused of one side or the other, or I don't want to be even worse if somebody actually can kind of um, spin me in some way and I don't know who's pulling my strings and I publish something uh, that's, that's sympathetic to you and I, you know, I become a stooge of some campaign. But then what, what happens is if you shy away from these things, you're just leaving that terrain for different interested parties to propagandize against each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is a good opportunity for these outlets to consider some of the more emerging journalistic practices, you know, around just reporting that is far more community driven and it'll, it'll portray the nuance that is needed in these stories. So I think this is actually just an indictment of like a lot of the way that establishment media in Canada function. And it's just time in general, just the two conversations that we have, it just really points to the fact that from both an editorial and business standpoint, there needs to be massive changes in the way we do things. (laughs) Well, that is our Canada Land Shortcuts for today. I need to thank you. Thank you. Everybody, you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. Our Twitter account is at CanadaLand. Anita, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at N-Triple-E-D-A on both Facebook and Twitter. And I'd love for folks to subscribe to my uh, newly not launched newsletter. Um, it's called The Other Wave, and you can find it at theotherwave.substack.com. It's all about challenging the status quo in Canadian media. If you care about Canadian media and you're listening to the show, so I guess you do, that sounds like something you should go subscribe to right now. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Rosalind Kafour and Kate McIntosh. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. And our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us at canadaland.com slash join. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.